Uh, it's good to see everyone today. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. I'm so glad you're here. I especially want to welcome those of you who, uh, who normally sit outside on the, pat- on the patio, and here you are, you had to come inside this weekend. So, and if there's anybody sitting out in the rain, God bless you, but everyone else, I'm glad you're here. This is the fifth week of this series called Rewritten, and in this series, what we're embracing is that, that because of the resurrection of Jesus, there's a way that all of our stories can be rewritten and are being rewritten because of the power and the love of God. And in this series, what we've been seeing is that there are some ways in which God just sovereignly intervenes sometimes. It just grabs hold of the pen and just rewrites as he sees fit. But there are also ways in which he gives us the opportunity to, by our own choices and the things we decide to think and engage and believe and have faith for and walk into, that we get to be a part of how the story gets rewritten. And and it's both and. It's not either or. But... What I'm hoping is that every single one of us has an increasing sense of hope, knowing that whatever has been written is not all there is, that there is a a goodness and a love in God to see that your story would be rewritten by his power. And and I'm praying that that hope increases even more today. And so uh, I wanted to take some time today for us to jump into chapter 5 of the Gospel of Mark. So if you brought a Bible, I want you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 5 in the New Testament. And you can open up a Bible app on your phone, that's fine, or open up the pages. I should hear some rustling or something right about now, but uh, Mark chapter 5. You know, one of the things that I look forward to about heaven is I look forward to going to heaven one day and having a chance to kind of just get to know some people that were in the Bible, you know? Like, I want to talk to some people in the Bible, and, 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 and once I've gotten to heaven and I enjoy some time just in Jesus' glory, then I want to take some time to start asking some people. I want to talk to some of those uh, Israelites and say, I want you to tell me what it was like when those walls fell down. I mean, I know I read it in the book. I've preached about it, but tell me what it was like when, when it really happened, you know? I, I want to be able to get to know some of those people because I, I look at the Bible as a book that is, in a sense, a book of my people, and I want to get to know their stories and, and their testimonies and and especially some of the ones where someone's story got rewritten. And so we're going to turn to Mark 5 today. And um, in a sense, it's a testimony, or it could be a testimony. And what I want to do today is, is imagine what it would be like if we could just hear the testimony of somebody straight out of the Gospel of Mark. And so I want you to just imagine for a moment. Imagine that you're, uh, you're a, a part of the early church maybe just a couple years after the resurrection of Jesus. And you, you live in a community uh, just kind of off the shores of the Sea of Galilee somewhere, and, and you're part of a little group of believers, and, and, and you, you meet in a synagogue, uh, and, and you haven't even figured out yet what to call who you are, because you're, you're, you're Jewish people, but you, you got to ha- have this new kind of passionate belief in Jesus, and, and so you're meeting together, and, and the rabbi steps up, and, and you're just starting to get used to maybe call him pastor or something, but you're not sure, so you rabbi, pastor, whatever, but the, the pastor says that day, all right, we're going to have a testimony weekend. We're going to have testimonies today. Oh, so that's your response, huh? The, the pastor says, we're going to have testimonies, and you're like, <laughs> Come on, let's try that again. All right, so imagine yourself. You're in your little early church gathering there by the Sea of Galilee in the little synagogue, and the rabbi pastor guy steps up and says, well, everybody, it's testimony weekend. We're going to have some testimonies today. Right. <laughs> now you're in the spirit. Good. And so 
uh, is testimony weekend, and so for the next few minutes, I want us to just hear a testimony, and that's going to be me for just a minute. But just imagine, right? All right, it's testimony weekend. All right, come on up here, GD. Okay, so GD comes on up. Hey, I'm GD. Like you said, I mean, you could call me GD anyway. I mean, that doesn't really do any justice to who I am now, but it is how everybody knew me for a long time. So you could go ahead and call me GD. But you know what? If you would have met me just a few years ago, if you saw me coming in the distance, you would have turned around and run the other way. I'm serious. I know it because I saw it happen again and again. I, I was a guy who I, I suffered with a, a, a deep rage problem, but it wasn't just like a, an anger problem that you could solve with a few anger management classes. It wasn't that at all. What was happening for me was that I was oppressed by demonic spirits. Oh, I know. I said it. Demonic and everybody's freaking out, I know, but I have to just say it like it is. That was what happened to me. I was living under demonic oppression, and it caused me to lose my mind. I was out of my mind. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't see straight. I couldn't live in a sane way, and I was messed up. These demonic powers had overtaken my life. It was crazy, and nobody knew what to do for me. In fact, nobody would even let me live near them. I mean, I couldn't live in the city, I couldn't live in the towns, I couldn't live in the villages because everybody thought I was a danger. I was a danger to them, I was a danger to myself. So I ended up just living on the outskirts over by the cemetery. I mean, you'd think of it as, as a cemetery. It was more like burial caves. That's all I could do. I, I lived over there and, and all I did was wander around, smashing rocks, howling, <laughs> shrieking, and people, all they could ever do was come at me with chains and try to chain me up. And even when they would put the chains on me, those demonic powers would give me this weird freakish strength and I would break out of the chains. And even though I was breaking out of the chains, I was definitely not free. Those demonic forces had such a hold on me. And, and I was done. My story was over. I was a dead man walking. That's all I was. <laughs> Until that day. I will never forget that day that that boat came up. And the boat came up right there on the shores of, of the cemetery. Boats don't pull up on the shores of the cemetery. That's not the place you choose to do your coving, right? And the boat came up right there on the shores of the cemetery. And and it was weird. It was like as though whoever was on that boat, it was causing this dark force, this dark power in me to get stirred up all the more. And, and they got out of the boat, and, and the guys back here looked all tentative, and, and they looked all concerned. And, and I came around the bend from one of the caves and just started shrieking and howling, because that's all I did. I was buck naked, out of my mind, shrieking and howling, chains dragging off of me. And these guys over here bracing themselves, looking all freaked out. But he looked right at me. He, he looked right at me. Everybody else, everybody for years, they would look at me with fear and disgust or not look at me at all. But he looked right at me and it was like as though he could see me. Everybody else looked my way. All they could see was these demonic forces, but he looked right at me at me and it was as though he could see the demons for what they were and me for who I was 
or for who I could even become. He saw me, and, and, and as we came face to face, he looked right into my eyes, and he spoke. That is all. He spoke. He spoke. He spoke. And what happened next was crazy. It, it defies imagination. <laughs> you had to be there to really, really catch how crazy it was. But he spoke, and as he spoke, they left. And in an instant, I was free. And they left, and they, they went into the herd of pigs, and the pigs ran off the cliff and died. It was crazy. You had to be there. But, but I was set free. And the other guys, they came along. They gave me clean clothes. <laughs> they, they gave me clean clothes. And I put on clean clothes. I put on clean clothes. I mean, it had been years. And I got my dignity back. I got my sanity back. I got my life back. And it was all because of this, this, this man who was so much more than a man. He looked at me and he spoke. And his authority set me free. And I live, I live these last few years to tell the story of everything he did for me. To make sure people know that they don't have to stay living under the shroud of that darkness of demonic power. That there's a way to be set free. That's my story. You can call me GD. But you know that I'm something different now. All right, give it up for GD. Thank you for the testimony. <laughs> and sometimes you just got to break the mold, you know. Yeah, I think sometimes it helps to personalize a little bit what you see in the scriptures because, you know, we can get to a place where we just read the Bible the same way every time and, it, and we need sometimes to just shake it up a little bit. And, and let the people be people. I mean, this is what we're going to read today is a, a story of a person a real person who got set free by Jesus, and I just don't want to lose sight of that. So let, let's jump into the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5, and, and dive into the scriptures that um, what I just made up <laughs> sort of came from. All right, so Mark chapter 5, verse 1. The disciples have been out on the Sea of Galilee it, it, fighting through a, a crazy storm, and Jesus speaks to the storm. Storm is brought to a still, and then they keep going on the boat, and this is what comes next. It says, so they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him, and this man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Howling and cutting himself with sharp stones, wandering around burial caves. What a life. I, I, I just want to make sure we see the reality of, of what we're talking about for what it is. In verse 2, it just kind of came right out and said it. It said, they met a man who was possessed by an evil spirit. So that's what we're talking about. That's the happy Sunday morning context for us. We're, we're dealing with a, a person who is possessed by an evil spirit. And I think it's important for us to get this, that the scriptures from time to time give us insight into things that 
are not our normal course. Things that are beyond the ordinary. Things that uh, take us into, into realms that, that are unseen. And part of what we need to just become familiar with, if this is new for us, is that the Bible is God's word to us to allow us to have the insight we need to thrive in this life. And, and so part of what we see here is the reality that a guy is possessed by an evil spirit. And being possessed by an evil spirit is something awful and uh, something that obviously brings with it a lot of pain. And, and what I hope that you would recognize for the, right from the outset is that what this man experienced doesn't necessarily apply to you. So let me just make sure we understand this. This man was possessed by an evil spirit, but I want to clarify this. If you belong to Jesus, you are possessed by Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to make sure you hear that. I want you to just say it out loud. I belong to Jesus. Therefore, what you've read about here, this will not happen to you because you belong to Jesus. When you belong to Jesus, he's got you and, and you're his. So I want that to allow you to breathe in a little bit of relief and peace today. I belong to Jesus. And so I'm reading about some guy that was possessed by an evil spirit. But uh, what, what can happen to any person, whether somebody's an atheist or a part of some other religion or, or a believer, is people, we, any of us, we can be afflicted by an evil spirit afflicted and that's very different than possessed but it is in the similar category it's about darkness having some kind of an effect and it's important that we recognize that there's a way to deal with it and that's what this message is going to be about but first how does darkness come upon a person how does it happen what I've recognized is that it often comes as a result of pain that hasn't been processed because pain then becomes a prison and sometimes the pain of what we've been through becomes a prison that we are locked into. And so we, we recognize this, that, that pain can imprison us. We can become imprisoned, imprisoned in the self-perception of powerlessness. We can become imprisoned in patterns of self-sabotage and self-harm. I, I mean, just when we thought that the the issue of people cutting themselves and self-harm. We thought it was something new. Then we read the Bible and discovered, no, this is something of a demonic origin that is ancient. It goes way back. Uh, we can become imprisoned in the powerlessness of a victim identity. We can come, become imprisoned in the poison of hatred towards somebody. We can become imprisoned in the bitterness of unforgiveness with somebody or some situation. And when we're imprisoned by our pain, it creates an entry point for demonic oppression. This is why we emphasize in so many ways as we gather and grow as believers, the journey of healing, the journey of dealing with the pain, not sweeping it under the rug or pretending it isn't there, but, but engaging in a, in a healing process. And Part of why we've started a freedom prayer ministry in our church is to deal with those deeper things that just need the healing touch of God because we don't want there to be any entry point for some kind of an oppression. And, and so this, this guy is living with some kind of an immense pain. We don't even know his backstory, but we recognize that he's living completely oppressed and afflicted, even in this, his case, possessed by an evil spirit. So let's keep reading in verse 6. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away... The man saw him and ran to meet him, 
and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Isn't that odd that the demonic spirits were begging not to be sent to some distant place? I want you to understand what you're seeing here. You're seeing a little peek behind the curtain into the unseen realm. And, and what we're discovering is that these demonic forces are eager to stay in the territory where they are. These demonic forces are eager to keep their stronghold in this region. They're, they're not only there to, to try to cause havoc for this one particular person. They are, through this person, keeping a stronghold in a whole area, a whole territory. There are many. It's important to recognize that this was not just some you know, haphazard little demonic spirit that was on a whim trying to mess with somebody. It was a, an organized, orchestrated attack. I mean, legion, many. In terms of the, the history of that word legion, it technically would mean up to 6,000 troops. I mean, it's a, a, a big number. And we don't have to determine that, therefore, it means there were 6,000 demons. But we need to see that it was something very powerful. And it was designed to establish a stronghold over a whole region. They begged, don't send us away to some distant place. Did not want to be brought into some distant place. Kind of, though, maybe begs the question, why are there even any demonic spirits anyway? Why do they exist? Well, if you trace the scriptures out just a little bit, what you find is that God loves freedom. He loves it so much. He gives us free will, a free moral agency. He gives freedom even into the natural order. He gives freedom into the supernatural order. And as you trace out the story in the scriptures, what you find is that God created the angelic beings. We, we just broadly call them all angels, but God created angelic beings also with this freedom. And the story goes that Lucifer, the, this angelic being that was Chief among all of these angels wanted what God was getting, wanted the worship, and rebelled against God. And a third of the angelic beings rebelled with Lucifer against God, and in that moment fell from their standing and became what we know of today or refer to as demons. That's the origin, that's the backstory. And these demonic forces desire by Jesus' insight, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what their purpose is. Because of jealousy toward God and a desire to harm whom God loves. And so, so that's what's going on behind the scenes. And part of it is this strategy to take a whole region. And, and as we read these scriptures, I think it's important to, to not get afraid. Right. You with me on that? I know we're talking about darkness and demons, and it could feel a little bit you know, scary or something. It doesn't need to be at all. I want you to take note of a couple of things. Verse 6. Did you notice this? In verse 6, it said, 
When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. This is a man who up until this moment, all he can do is beat himself up, cut himself, and shriek and howl. And and these demonic powers that were inside of this guy ran to Jesus and bowed down. Bowing is something that you do when you are aware that you are obviously in the presence of somebody so far greater than you. So I just want you to recognize that, that even these demons, instantly, all they can do is bow. And I'm telling you that because it's important that you hear this. You are indwelt by the spirit of the living God. The spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you. And what that means is that the same thing that happened with this situation is your right and privilege as well. That whatever demonic force or darkness there is ultimately bows to Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is in you, then you stand in the same place of authority and every demonic thing bows when you come running in. This is part of your privilege as a son of God, as a child of God, daughter of God, to know who you are. Somebody in whom Jesus Christ dwells, and therefore somebody before whom every demonic power must bow. So, C.S. Lewis said this in the beginning of Screwtape Letters, just in the preface. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about demons or devils. And one is to disbelieve their existence, and the other is to believe, but to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. So how about we just avoid both of those extremes? Let's not disbelieve, let's not have an excessive, unhealthy interest, but how about let's follow Jesus into what he does when he confronts demonic things in darkness. That's what this message is about, following Jesus' model for dealing with the darkness of demonic strongholds. And what we find Jesus doing is this. Jesus speaks to that darkness so that it can leave and be gone. Verse 8, it says, Jesus already said to that spirit, why don't you say it out loud with me? Come out of the man, you evil spirit. One more time, Jesus had already said to the spirit, read it out loud with me. Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus is demonstrating for all eternity, for every one of us that are followers of Jesus, come on, shout, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus. He's shouting, he's demonstrating for each one of us who are followers of Jesus how to deal with the darkness of demonic oppression. And it comes by speaking to it in authority, calling it out for what it is, evil, and then calling it to leave. This is what we get to do. We follow Jesus' model for dealing with whatever demonic darkness we'd ever see. And this is what I'm asking you to rise up and do, to be those who would rise up and make a decree in Jesus' authority to set the captive free. Make the decree in Jesus' authority to set the captive free. This is what God's desire is. God's vision for humans is that we could live in his grace, that we would come to know Jesus and receive his gift of salvation and be made new and live in his power and love all the days of our life, rising up in an experience of his goodness and his light and his victory. That's what God's desire is. But part of what you and I need to do is take our place so that that can happen in our own lives and the lives of other people by standing on the authority of the name of Jesus and doing what Jesus 
Jesus did whenever darkness tries to rear its ugly head and to make that decree in Jesus' authority so that the captive would be set free. And that captive, that might be your spouse. That might be your daughter. That might be your son. That might be your friend. That might be your place of work. I don't know if it might be that some of us, because we're silent in the face of darkness, are allowing that darkness and demonic power to rise. What if it is that God has placed you in your region, whether that region is where you have a sphere of influence and leadership at work, or, or your region where you have a, a group of people that you lead at work or in your classroom or whatever your region is, what if it is that, that your silence is allowing a darkness to continue that never needed to? If we would follow Jesus, we would see that there are times when we must stand up and use our voice and speak to that evil thing and call it out what it is, it's evil, and say, leave. And know that because of who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross, there is no other choice for that evil entity but to be done and gone. Make the decree in Jesus' authority to set the captive free. Jesus has this conversation. He asks this demon, what is your name? It almost seems odd, right? I mean, doesn't it kind of strike, if you'd never read the Bible before, you'd be like, wait, why is he talking to the demon? Why is he asking him questions? It was because Jesus wanted this demon to out himself, to reveal his identity. Because identity sometimes also reveals capacity. And, and this demon had a capacity to, because it was many to influence a whole region. And Jesus wanted that exposed. Jesus wanted that demonic intention, that demonic ex capacity to be exposed for what it was so that it could be fully and completely dealt with. And so he identified uh, this particular demonic spirit. And then verse 10, it says, the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. <laughs> the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy, that's crazy. But you know what, it also makes me very sad. I read this and I just feel a deep sadness because bacon. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but my mind goes there, right? I mean, listen, listen, 2,000 pigs. Each pig averaged 250 pounds. I read that 13% of a pig's weight becomes bacon. And we're talking about 60,000 pounds of bacon just destroyed in one moment. It's sad. I don't know. I don't know. Why did this happen, though? Why did Jesus send the, the evil spirits into the pigs? Why did he do this? Think about it for a moment. He's doing this for several different layers of reasons because he's just this good. First of all, he's doing it so that nobody would be able to leave this moment and say, ah, nothing happened. It was just a conversation, that's all. No, 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 no. Once 2,000 pigs all of a sudden go berserk after that moment and run off the cliff, nobody's leaving that moment going, oh, I don't know. It was just nothing. It was just a little conversation. No, everybody knew something crazy happened. It 
validated whatever just happened with that man. Another reason why Jesus is, is sending these, these demonic spirits into these pigs is because he's establishing the value of a human being and a human soul over whatever other living creature. And that might be tough for some of us to take in. And, and there are people who write articles about Jesus' cruelty to animals because of this incident. But he's just establishing that from his perspective, there is a difference and there is a value of a human being that exceeds and supersedes that of whatever else. And he's also doing something extremely awesome in this moment that hardly gets identified. Did you know that ancient historian Tacitus writes about the, the ancient Roman legions in this particular time, the ones that dwelt in this area of the Middle East, and, and says that the 10th legion is the specific one that occupied that area, and they flew a battle flag, and their battle flag had the emblem of a pig on it. And so Jesus gets to that particular area <laughs> where the Roman occupying forces fly a battle flag that's a pig, and he finds a demonically possessed man in a, a occupied territory, and it's almost like by sending the demons into the pigs, he's saying, no occupying force is ever going to trample me. I am greater than every occupying force, whether it's demonic or even in the physical realm from the Romans. It was... Jesus' glory in this moment. Ah, I love it. He demonstrates his grandeur. And in verse 14 again, it said, the herdsmen fled to the nearby towns and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. And the crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. It's important to recognize this too, that sometimes when Jesus moves in power, not everybody is like, amen, that's awesome. You know? Some people are like, oh my gosh, this is freaking me out right now. It doesn't mean it wasn't awesomely Jesus, but they, they saw what happened and they, their conclusion was they were afraid. So they, they were afraid. A crowd gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave him alone. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the, I, I got to stop on that one too. They, they saw an outright miracle. You'd think their conclusion would be, you are amazing. Stay. Do some more. But no, their conclusion was, this is messing with us too much. It's messing with us. We'd rather be comfortable with what we're familiar with, even if it's darkness. But you're messing up what we're familiar with. Sounds like a religious spirit to me. But, but Jesus has something he's got to do. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave him alone. Jesus got into the boat, and the man who had been Demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. And so the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. Everyone was amazed at what he told them. I, I, I love how this, this story, if you follow just the, the, the arc of the story, this guy's story was dramatically rewritten. 
And he goes from being the garrison demoniac, GD, to being gloriously delivered. He goes from being this garrison demoniac to, be, to being one who's, who's great in his own destiny and, and calling. And I, I think it's important for all of us to recognize big picture, if the darkness had never been dealt with, he would not have been released into his greater destiny. And I wonder if maybe it's true for some of us that there is a greater destiny for us, but we've settled with a comfortable darkness because it's familiar to us or because we just don't know how to deal with it. And maybe, I mean, maybe this guy's story represents a level 10 darkness. I mean, obviously, it says he was possessed by an evil spirit. But what if it's just like a level one, level two darkness where we just kind of settle in for you know, a little bit of shade, but it keeps us from, from really experiencing all of the light of God's goodness. So, so we got to deal with the darkness. Deal with whatever ways the darkness is, is getting into the mix in your life. And for some of us, I'm, I'm speaking very specifically to you. You get magazines in the mail, and then the first thing you do is flip to the back page where the horoscope is, or you, you click on the, those things that, that are going to say, you know, get your reading here. And I think it's got to end. You got to recognize that for what it is. It's darkness. It's a demonic ploy to get a hook. Stop going there. It's not going to do you any good. It's just going to keep the, the shade growing into full-on shadow until the light is eclipsed when you're up in Dimville. I said, Stop it. Deal with the darkness. For some of us, what we need to do is recognize the power of the authority of Jesus' name and then also recognize moments when things are beginning to happen that aren't from him. I'll share with you on a personal level. Earlier this week, had one of those days where I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I'm feeling all this anxiety, all this worry, all this concern, all this frustration, and then this surge of bitterness and, and then some anger. And it was like this vortex of nastiness. Just where, what is this? And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I wish I, I was quicker on these things because it was like the next day when I finally am like, wait a minute, what, what, what is going on? This is not me. This is not me, and this is certainly not Jesus in me. That is a skill that all of us need to learn. That, being able to identify, that's not me, and that's not Jesus in me. Therefore, it's probably the enemy, the darkness, demonic. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you make that discovery? Well, you could let your story stay the same. I could have. I could have let my story stay the same. Well, I'm just anxious and full of angst and I'm full of bitterness and I'm just mad and I'm just frustrated and oh, I could just stay that way right till this very moment. I could have come out here and preached a very angry sermon at you. I could have. could have done it like that. But for the story to be rewritten, I got to deal with that darkness. And so for me, what that looked like is when I finally kind of got a clue the next day, doing what I saw Jesus do and just saying out loud, with my mouth, if I have an ability to speak out loud with my mouth, then that's the way to do it. And, and to say out loud, this evil spirit is not from God. And so every spirit of angst, every spirit of bitterness and frustration and hatred, every spirit of anxiety, every spirit of anger, I command you to leave in Jesus' name. And I declare that I am free from all oppression in Jesus' name. That moment, 
It's like the lights come back on and the shadows lose their power. I don't want that to just be something I'm growing to do. I want that to be something all of us are growing to do. And maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for your daughter, your son, your, your friends, your family members, people that work for you. Make the decree in Jesus' authority to set the captive free. In a sense, today I'm saying, tag, you're it. When, when you find the darkness, what you need to do is not go, well, we're going to have to call the church and see if we can get Pastor John to come pray for us. <laughs> no, 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 what you need to do is be who God has called you to be. A, a believer who knows that you're full of the light and love of Jesus Christ, who's able to rise up and stand in the authority he's given you and to deal with the darkness the way you've been authorized to. You're a follower of Jesus, right? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then follow him into this kind of stuff too and watch his goodness come. I want you to pray with me. God, I pray that you would allow there to be right now a spiritual activation for every one of us, that there would be something that would rise up in us to say, I can deal with the darkness in the authority of Jesus. That you would just know that, that you can deal with the darkness and the authority of Jesus. And you saw an example from Mark chapter 5, from GD's testimony of how it's done. You speak to it. And so I bless you right now in Jesus' name to know your authority in Jesus and to know how to use it when you see darkness on the rise, to call it out for what it is. I bless you in Jesus' name to be able to identify it and then call it out and gone in Jesus' name. You do what you've heard today and watch God bring his deliverance and allow you to then step into greater measure of your destiny from darkness to destiny. That's what this is about.